you and bless you. We praise you. We rejoice in you. We thank you, God, that oh, you have a purpose, a plan, a destiny for every single one of us and for us as a church. And I pray, Lord, as we look at the word of God, this passage in Isaiah, as we study your word, that God, it would become life to us. Spirit of God, uncover, reveal. May revelation knowledge for us personally and corporately occur today. Lord, at the same time, I want to pray for all of those across our congregation who are struggling with illness today, who aren't even here. Some, I know, are watching on um, the live stream. And so, Lord, I just speak blessings over them. I pray healing be upon them. I pray that, God, they would sense your presence in a very dynamic way wherever they are today. Lord, we thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. During this time of prayer and fasting, we're looking at kind of some some re, R-E, ideas. And the first Sunday we looked at this, we talked about we need to reawaken, so to speak. We need to wake up to various things in our lives. We need to wake up to the call for diligence that over time we become lethargic, we become apathetic, we quit looking, quit becoming diligent. It's, it's part of the nature of who we are. And we need to wake up spiritually to that and then, once, as we become more diligent, we need to wake up to God's command for action in our lives. That he didn't uh, just call us to do nothing, but we are to, to um, um, move forward in him. And we need to wake up to the crisis of deception, which is also at work in many of our lives. It's easy to become deceived. Easy to become deceived. What's hard about deception is that it's hard to spot deception in our lives once we've received it. Hello. Y'all stay with me. <laughs> because wake up. That's what I'm talking about. It's time to wake up. Because when we're deceived, we don't know we're deceived. No one wants to walk around saying, I am so stinking deceived, but I love it. You know, I just love where I am in my deception. I'm just going to go that direction. No, we need to wake up to the crisis that we can easily become deceived. And then once we wake up, we need to refocus that many times, again, the, the things we're looking at are not the things we need to be looking at, and we need to focus on what God has for us. This time of prayer and fasting that we're going through at Fullness is 21 days, personally and corporately, are for really these purposes. Waking up, kind of shaking off the stuff in our lives, and refocusing on what God has for us. And, and uh, today and next week, I really want to talk about us regrouping. That if indeed Christianity is relational and God has called us together as a body of Christ, this is not merely about what I do or about what you do. It's about what we do. That we need to, to, to come together in, in his plan and his purpose to accomplish his desire. There's this uh, passage in First uh, John uh, that says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is toward the end of First John. And he's saying, I I'm writing these things because you can know you have eternal life. If you're here today and you have any doubt about your eternal life, go read First John. 
he gives some guidelines and some direction about ways we can be assured and we can know that we have eternal life. And he goes on and says, this incredible passage. This is the assurance we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. There are these times where the scripture just jumps on you and you just say, I don't know. I don't know if uh, I can really have whatever I ask of God. Is that really true? Or is John just speaking in these uh, overarching euphemisms that kind of trying to encourage everybody to do something, but he doesn't really mean it? No, I, I think he means it. I think he really, really means it. Now, there's this key part in this, we know, that he says, if we ask anything, what? According to his will. According to his will. So what do we need to do? We need to discern the will of God. We need to discern the will of God so that we can pray back to him according to his will. And honestly, there are times we just don't know, right? We're asking God for something, but we really don't know. Is this in the will of God or not in the will of God? How do we determine the will of God? You see, our desire is to find out what God is doing and join in by prayer and cooperation. That's really our call as a church, as a people of God, to say, okay, we want to hear from God. Prayer is this conversation with God. I believe all of the Christian life is a conversation with God. Worship is a conversation with God. Prayer is a conversation with God. And the problem many of us have is that we're the only ones who are doing the talking in this conversation because we're not given time to listen to what God is saying. And really, is it, is it more important what you have to say or what God has to say? I think it's kind of obvious that it's much more important that it's what God has to say, but we don't give any time to listen to him. We don't, we don't try. Some of us aren't even sure that God still speaks. I mean, we kind of know it in the conceptual, but we don't know it in the real. I, I want to say to you this morning, God still speaks. God is still, he's interacting with his people. He's, he's placed his Holy Spirit in you to lead you and guide you into all truth. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. He speaks through his people. He speaks in, I believe, even in nature. He speaks in incredible ways. And he speaks in various ways to different ones of us, depending on how we're created and how we're made. What we have to do is position ourselves in a way that we can hear from God. And in some ways, this is what spiritual disciplines do in our lives. You see, many of us, we fall into kind of different areas. We're like, you know, it's all by grace. It's all about what God does. So why work at it? Why do, why do anything? You know, God's going to just zap me when he wants to because that, you know, it's not anything that I do. It's all about what he does. So we do nothing. And we just wait on God to speak. Others of us, we, we think it's all about what we do. You know, it's, it, it becomes, you know, if I'm going to hear from God, I got to do, I got to pray an hour. I got to read my Bible through. I got to give more than 10%. I got to go to church because if I don't, God will never speak to me. Richard Foster, in his great book, In Celebration of Discipline, he talks about this passage 
that basically says the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who does what? Sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Here's what I think one of the, what Paul is saying and then what Foster says is this. You're always sowing. There's no neutral or not sowing. Not sowing is sowing. Are, are you with me? You may not believe that, but to not sow is to actually sow. Uh, you're sowing to please the sinful nature by not sowing. Um, and so you're always sowing. Are you sowing to please the sinful nature, or are you sowing to hear from the Spirit? In that idea of sowing, it's like the farmer. The farmer goes out and spreads the seed. He prepares the soil, and he spreads the seed. Who actually does the growing? Well, it's God that does the growing. I mean, the farmer doesn't do the—he's got the seed. He spreads it. It's in the ground, and now God makes it come to life and bear fruit. Likewise, in our lives, we're always sowing something. Now, God is the one who's going to take it and make something happen with it, but if we don't sow, then we're sowing. But we're, so we need to be constantly thinking about what are we sowing. So Foster pictures spiritual disciplines, and I'm going to actually get to this passage in just a minute, so just hang on. Isaiah 58 is where I'm headed. He, he talks about spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and giving and worship. And he says, there are these two extremes that I've already defined for you. There's the, there's the extreme of doing nothing, of doing nothing, of just saying, hey, it's God who does everything. And he describes it, and he uses a, a theological word, antinomianism. Antinomianism means no law, no rules, no nothing. And he pictures it on one extreme. And then on the other extreme is the I'm doing everything, and if I don't, God will get me mindset. The, and he calls that legalism. And he says it's like we're walking down this uh, precipice, this mountain path. And on either side of us are these two incredible chasms, these fall-offs, so to speak. The one of doing nothing and the one of legalism, antinomianism or the law. And that what happens is we are all tempted to fall onto one side or the other. Some of us came from very legalistic backgrounds where it's all about, hey, I got the, I, every Sunday I've got this card, I've got to check off these 10 things on my offering card before I turn it in to make sure I did everything that I was supposed to do. The, the idea that if I don't tithe, God is going to break my refrigerator because he's going to get his somehow uh, kind of mentality. Anybody ever been there? I've tried to avoid it, but I've slipped into it on occasion. And now others of us come from that background, or we react so strongly to that that we say, you know, I don't got to do nothing. Um, you know, I, I can live like heck, and God is still going to work his blessings in my life because that's the kind of God. He's got to forgive me. That's his job. Right? God is a God of forgiveness and grace and love, and so I can do whatever I want, and he'll, he's got to forgive me when I say, God, forgive me, and everything will be good. And Trust me, people, we, we, we're all in danger of that. We may not say it like that, but we're there. Spiritual disciplines are this path, this narrow path that we're sowing to the Spirit to try and position ourselves just to hear from God. You know, prayer isn't me obligating God 
prayer is me just getting in a position where I can see my heart change and by the power of the Spirit hear from Him. Fasting, it does the same thing. I deny myself spiritual, I deny, my, I deny myself physical things in order to kind of purge my heart so I can get the junk that's in there out so that I can in turn hear from God. In Isaiah 58, Isaiah talks to this, and I just want to walk through this passage briefly. And you know, That's a preaching term, briefly. It doesn't really mean anything. I want to walk through this passage. I want to walk through this passage. Let's be honest. I want to walk through this passage to try and help us understand. Now, he's talking about fasting, but I think he's talking in some sense about any spiritual discipline. Any of them. Bible reading, prayer, you can just substitute that in. But why... Why is he talking to the nation of Israel about this? And what does this have to do with us today? How do we regroup? You with me? So that we can hear from God. Don't you want your prayers to matter? Or would you rather they don't? I, I mean, I, I want my prayers to matter. And if I'm going to want my prayers to matter, then I have to pray according to his will. I have to position myself in a way that hears from him and just cry out to him at times. So this is what spiritual, this is what we're talking about. How do we regroup so that we put ourselves in a position to hear from God and to pray back to him according to his will boldly before his throne of grace? First is this, we need to regroup to the understanding about true relationships. I've said it this morning already a couple of times, Christianity is in its basic nature relationship. And what Isaiah is saying to the people in this passage is, you're doing junk, but you got no relationship. You're doing stuff. You're doing religious things, but you've lost the heart of it, which is all about relationship. When you just do religious stuff without the relationship, it is simply junk. It is nothing. It doesn't matter a flip. I, I'm, I know I'm speaking frankly, but I, I just want to hammer into us that it's all about relationship. He says, and I'm going to walk through these 12 verses this morning, so just they're in your bulletin. I think I put them all in there because I want you to kind of follow along, take some notes. Hopefully this will hit us all uh, this morning. And trust me when I say I am preaching to myself. This could be just me here today talking to me about what I need to do and how I need to regroup for us to regroup. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. Who's talking here? God is talking through the prophet Isaiah. The, this is important. I mean, this is God speaking to the nation. Shout it to him. Tell him they are rebellious. He's commanded to speak the truth about their spiritual condition. No, almost nobody in this age wants to hear the truth. We just want, we want to make up our own truth, and then we want to kind of say, hey, whatever's right for me, that's good. But most of us today in our nation, in our world, it's, and it's not new. This has, been, this has been an age-old problem that many people just don't want to hear the truth. He's commanded to speak about the disease infecting their spiritual beings. And so here's what he says to them. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. <laughs> Look, 
the as if is really important. It's almost, it's almost like sarcasm, as if. You know, they, they, they seem like they want to seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. Yeah, really, as if. As if they were a nation that does what is right. and has. In other words, he's saying, this is a nation that is not right, and that has forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? They're asking the why question. Hey, we're doing the stuff. We're, doing, we're going to temple. We're making sacrifices. We are fasting. We're tithing. I'm serving in the nursery. I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do. I'm not watching bad things on television. I'm doing, I'm doing the stuff I'm supposed to do. Why, why, God, are you not answering my prayers? He goes on, and he gives some hard-hitting answers on the whys. He says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Now, what the heck? I, I, have to, I have to say, sometimes when I fast, I get a little hangry uh, kind of thing. You know, I, I understand this feeling that comes on you when you've given up something. You get a little short. You get a little... It's just the flesh that's being exposed in your life. But I have yet to hit someone in my uh, fasting. Yet, I said, uh, to hit someone. But that's where they are. Yeah, I know. I need it. Jesus, come. Quarreling and strife, striking each other with wicked fists. It's not, they're fasting, but they're fighting. He goes on and says, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting I've chosen only a day? Listen to this. Only a day for a man to humble himself? What is he saying? Listen, this is not about you doing this for your one day thing. I've called you to humble yourself all the time because I'm God and you're not. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Here's their problem, and I, and I want to hit it. I think it's what Isaiah is saying. They have lost the relationship. They've got religious practice. I mean, Really, they're doing things that you would say, they're doing good, this is a good church. I mean, they're fasting, they're praying, they're giving, they're on sackcloth and ashes, and they're doing all sorts of stuff, stuff we wouldn't even do, generally. I mean, they're highly committed to the act, but they've lost the relationship. And therefore, they've lost the heart of why they're supposed to do things. Listen, if fasting does anything for us, it should bring us back into a passionate relationship with God. It is not about just this religious activity. If you're simply fasting because you think this is what you've got to do to be religious, just stop it. I think it'd be better not to fast than to do a religious activity thinking you're going to accomplish something when in fact you're losing the relationship with God. This is all about us being in relationship with him and relationship with one another. We have to regroup. 
Religion without relationship, I want to say it as clearly as I can, is death. It is death. And you don't, you know, when we talked about being deceived and not knowing we're deceived, this is, to me, religion is the ultimate deception. Because we are dead and don't know it. Because the only way we have life is through relationship with God. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. If we're going to pray according to the will of God and know that he hears us and gives us what we ask, we need to, first of all, be in relationship with him. True fasting, true spiritual disciplines lead us back into a vital living relationship with God, which is joyful. Joyful. Second is that we need to regroup in order to minister to others. Relationship with God, relationship with one another. Ministry to the body, ministry to the world, ministry to others. Look at what uh, Isaiah, what God tells the nation through the prophet Isaiah. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of what? Injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Now, let me just say this. Most of us in the charismatic evangelical world, we take this and we read it and we say this is all about spiritual stuff. It is, but it's not limited there. It's not limited because he goes on and says, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? What is he saying? He's not just saying spiritual hunger, spiritual nakedness, spiritual oppression. I mean, he is speaking to those things, but that's not all. He's saying we minister to one another. We help. It is, it is part of justice that w- when you're in a relationship with people, you care about them. <clears throat> Let's just take this from a family aspect. If my, something happens to one of my kids, I am there to do what? To help them, to minister with them, to, 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 to give them what they need in their time of need. I mean, I can't think of anything I would withhold from my children in order to see them progress in the Lord. I also would not, I wouldn't for a second not give to them something that would then harm them, Right? In other words, if I know I'm enabling them to destroy themselves, then I'm not going to give it to them. In other words, freedom is, injustice is freedom to, to minister a cup in the name of Jesus, a cup of water, to give life, to, to share with those who have needs. You might be saying, oh, this is just Old Testament stuff. Well, not really. James 1 says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says a lot more. John says stuff in 1 John and 2 John and 3 John as well. Jesus talks about it. Listen, undefiled religion is not just going to fullness on Sunday morning. It's not just putting money in the offering. It's not just helping in the nursery. Those are all good things, but it's also feeding those who are hungry. It's standing up for justice. 
It's standing up for people that are hurting and administering life in their names, in the name of Jesus, so that we Isaiah 58, 8. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. We all want this. But the, it starts with an if. An if, then. If you, then I. And what is the if? Well, the if is relationship with him, a vital living relationship with him, caring, ministering to others, getting outside of ourselves, seeing it break forth, regroup to minister. And this takes place, I think, in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. To see the glory of the Lord shared around us. This past week, we... Uh, a couple of weeks ago was New Year's. We, some of us made resolutions to do certain things. I'll share mine with you in just a second. One of them, not all of them, but I'll share one of them with you. But I read about this one guy who, who went and knocked on his neighbor's door uh, on New Year's, New Year's Eve. It's about 10 o'clock at night before New Year's, and he knocks on his door. His neighbor comes to the door. He says to his neighbor, hey, I have resolved to be a, a nicer person in 2018. So I want to pop over real quick uh, before the end of the year and say that you're a real moron. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the way some of us act, isn't it? Oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be nicer, but before I do, I'm going to change my life. But before I do, listen, relationship with God it's a joy to change who we are because we then are in more of a vital relationship with him. What fasting does for us, it, 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 it's as if sin is blocking the light of the glory of God. And, and fasting brings those things to our mind so that we can repent of it and just let the light of God shine in our lives. And again, please don't hear me falling into legalism over here. Some of you are getting all guilty about something and that's not what I'm trying to, to say to you is that oh if you don't go feed these people go get all the food out of your pantry take it downtown and give it to everyone listen doing things without the wisdom of God could be the worst thing you could possibly do I mean really it, there's there's a whole book uh, called when helping hurts and some of us feel so guilty about doing stuff we do stuff that actually hurts people who need help we need the wisdom of God even in that. But what we've got to do is get outside of ourselves to say this is not just about what I get to accumulate. This is not about what I get to get. This is not about how many people come to fullness. This is about what God wants to do among his people to regroup. All right, third point, final point is this. We need to regroup to receive the blessings of God. To receive the blessings of God. Moving forward, verse 8, Then you will call, and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. <clears throat> Just a thought. Have you ever wondered why your prayers may go unhindered? Or go unheeded? Not unhindered, but unheeded, not heard? We need to pray with, according to the will of God, with the proper motives, putting ourselves in a position by the grace of God where he can hear us. 
verses 9 through 11, he goes, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger, oh, I pointed my finger earlier, and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Oh, Jesus, isn't that the kind of people we want to be? Like a well-watered garden, a spring in the desert, seeing the joy of the life of the Lord going out to people around us? Do you know that the world, I'm by the world, if you'll forgive me from a spiritual connotation, they, the world even recognizes this idea in certain ways. In economics, I'll, I'll just give you one example. How many of you are members of Costco? Do you know you can go to Costco and get these um, chickens? You can go get your chicken there. Ever since I've been a member of Costco for years, the rotisserie chicken has cost $4.99, $5. Thank you, Dottie. $4.99. And, and my wife has always sworn to me that Costco chickens are bigger than other places' chickens. And there's a report I just read which says it's true. Their chickens average three and a half pounds, and chickens at Walmart and other places are about two and a half pounds. Uh, also, um, just to let you know, Costco sells 157,000 rotisserie chickens every day. Every day for a total of 87 million chickens that they're killing and selling and roasting every year. Costco loses money on every single chicken. Last year, last year, they ate, so to speak. Uh, it's kind of funny. Thanks, Rob. They ate, uh, they ate $40 million in profits and losses on selling their chickens. And they've said, we'll never raise the price of our chickens. $4.99, that's it. We're going to keep selling them as long as we're in business for $4.99. Now, how can they afford to do that? How can they afford to give away these chickens? Because they know when you're going to go into Costco, you're going to buy 40 rolls of toilet paper and 100 things of coffee, and you're, going to get, you're not going to get out of there for less than $1,000. It's true. I, I can't get out of Costco. I, every time I go in, I have to take out a loan just to get out the front door. And all I went in for was for a $4.99 chicken. That's all I wanted. Why do they know that? Because they know that you're, you're going there for the chicken, but you're going to buy other stuff, including the membership and everything else. Listen, people, we're not, get, we're not just feeding the hungry. It, it sounds manipulative, and I don't want it to sound like that, but there's this dynamic that when we give and bless and show love to people, there's this transaction that happens that says, this is the kind of God we serve. We serve a God who gives. He gave his one and only son, didn't he? What, what greater gift could he give? 
Why would we be withholding from giving? Because we're self-centered. We care more about the profit line than we care about giving it away. Listen, one of the dynamics in church life is we're a corporation. I understand that. We have money. We pay salaries. We, we are, we're looking at things all the time. But, you know, I pray that on the day of Je- that Jesus comes, we have like zero dollars in our account. I, I, the trustees all just panic. But listen, I, I'm not looking to be in debt. We're debt-free as a church. What I'm looking for is it's not about how much money we accumulate. It's about what we give away in the name of Christ. It's about serving. And when we do, when we in faith step out and say, here's where God is directing us. Here's a, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to serve. We're going to send people here. We're going to support them. We're going to feed the hungry. We're going to love people by giving. I believe it's when the windows of heaven are open and God says, you know what? I can trust these people. They're not trying to do this for themselves. They're trying to do it to expand God's kingdom around. Look what God says about us in this passage. He says, he will then be our guide. Somewhere. He'll be our guide. He will satisfy our needs in a sun-scorched land. He'll strengthen our frame. We'll be like a well-watered garden. We'll be like a spring whose waters never, never fail. In her book, closer walk, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of this passage. Catherine Marshall, who is an author who passed away a number of years ago, she wrote this. She said, one morning last week, he, meaning God, gave me an assignment. For one day, I was to go on a fast from criticism. I was not to criticize anybody about anything. By the way, this is one of the fasts God gave me before I started the fast, was that I would stop criticizing. Now, you know, when you have kind of a sarcastic sense of humor, criticism just, they go with it. So um, it it just kind of goes together. It goes hand in glove, so to speak. So I'm trying to be funny without being critical, uh, which is, it is dadgum near impossible. I got to tell you. But let me tell you what Catherine Marks, I won't talk about my own failings in my fasting from criticism. But let me talk about what she says. For the first, she's only trying it for a day, too. I was trying it for 21. Uh, So anyway, for the first half of the day, for the first half of the day, I simply felt a void, almost as if I had been wiped out as a person. And she's a wonderful woman. She's not like me. You know, she's really a, a wonderful, loving lady. This was especially true at lunch. I listened to the others, and I kept silent. In our talkative family, no one seemed to notice. Bemused, I noticed that my comments were not missed. The federal government, the judicial system, and the institutional church could apparently get along fine without my penetrating observations. But still, I didn't see what this fast on criticism was accomplishing until mid-afternoon. That afternoon, a specific, positive vision for this life was dropped into my mind with God's unmistakable hallmark on it, joy. Ideas began to flow in a way I had not experienced in years. Now it was apparent what the Lord wanted me to see. My critical nature had not corrected a single one of the multitudinous things I found fault with. 
what it had done was to stifle my own creativity. Our improper attitudes and actions often stand in the way of God answering our prayers. It's the bottom line. Verse 12, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Here's my question for us. Here's, here's my call to us to regroup as the people of God. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. We got to get, we got to shake it off with all Apologies to Taylor Swift. We got to shake it off. We got to wake up. We got to get out of bed. We got to, we have to refocus on the things God has for us. And as the people of God, we've got to come back to our purpose in life, our purpose in being as the people of God. A true fast, true, true activity, true spiritual disciplines will bring the Word of God in power because we're in relationship with him. It will result in ministry and love going outward to touch the lives of people, both in this congregation and outside. It helps us to get others free. It allows us to call God and know that he will answer. It results in the blessings of the Lord being poured out on us. And it brings restoration and the correct foundation. In other words, God's kingdom come, his will be done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. I write these things to you who believe, that's us, in the name of the Son of God, so that you will know that you have eternal life. This is the assurance we have. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We know that he hears us, whatever we ask. We know that we have what we asked of I desire my prayers to be effective. I desire our prayers to be effective. Our worship to be unhindered. Our lives to be a loving example of the love that Christ has given to each and every one of us. Stand with me, if you would. Lord, I thank you this morning for the word from Isaiah. May we as a people regroup in faith and in life this morning. Lord, I pray that any way that the enemy would try and get into this, to this word and, and stir things up that would, would say, oh, you better get, do this or God's going to get you. That legalistic spirit that jumps on us too many times, I pray God will be silenced in the name of Jesus. I pray also that the, 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 the word of the enemy, the accusation that this is hopeless, you can't ever do enough would also be silenced in the name of Jesus. I pray that, God, we would, we would just position ourselves in a place through prayer and fasting and relationship with you where we would hear from you. So, God, speak to us right now. God, give us, ex God, give us opportunity to show the love of Christ to the world around us even today as we go from this place. May we give a cup of water in the name of Jesus in some fashion. So, Lord, today, I pray for a living, vital relationship with you unhindered in any way. I pray that we would love one another. 
and that through the love we have for one another, we'll show the world that we're your disciples. And that, Lord, we would show the world by giving to the, to the world. And then, Lord, we pray that your blessings would flow, but not for our exaltation, but for yours. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do today. We bless you. We praise you. We give ourselves to you as instruments of righteousness. We pray that we will be vessels of honor filled with your power and your presence today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, to 